The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. Thank you for joining us today. I'm absolutely amazed at how all of the uh, synchronicities are lining up when we are on a single one true path and having done all the work with the Gene Keys with Richard Rudd that I've spoken about a couple of times in the last few weeks, one of the pieces of his unraveling of, of our true destiny is this balancing of the masculine and feminine energies. And then Glinda Lee Hoffman comes along for today's show with her latest work, which is called The Genesis Code. And within that, there is a phenomenal explanation of actually the whole story behind the loss of this balance and how we can restore it. So I'm really looking forward to the show today with Glinda. Welcome to the show, Glinda. Hi, Peter, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Well, you've done a marvelous piece of work, and what I I like about the book, The Genesis Code, is the balance that you've struck between your own personal Uh, insights and intuitive mystical experiences with some pretty heavy-duty, detailed, rational, reasoning, logical uh, research into uh, the Genesis in the Bible. So uh, it's a real interesting mix and blend that you've you've come up with to to test your own brain, I guess. (laughs) Yes, um, that's exactly what it did. So perhaps you could uh, give our, our listeners a, a bit of a, uh, an, an understanding or a bit of a sense of you first and, and your early experiences that you, obviously you didn't know at the time but led you into this, this phenomenal piece of research that you've done. Sure. Um, when I was five, I had my first mystical experience, for lack of any other way to say it. It was very simple. I heard a voice. And, uh there's much more to the story, and you can read the book to, to uh, learn about it. But I heard a voice say, things are not what they appear to be. And, of course, at five, I had no idea what to do with that. But the voice included a presence, and the presence was very uh, grounded and yet full of un- unknown possibilities. I could just feel the excitement of all those uh, possibilities. And yet, at, at that age, I had no way of processing the information. Then when I was 11, I had a very detailed um, experience that I likened to a near-death experience because other people talk about near, near-death experiences in this way. Only 
I was nowhere near death. I was walking home from church. And it was a, it was an, a visit with Jesus. And uh, I, I also tell this entire story in the book. Uh, I lay it out in context so people can understand it. But basically, before this encounter, I was searching for something. I had no idea what it was. But in my mind, it was uh, an adult who would be a good model for me to mimic in order to grow up to be the kind of person I wanted to be. And I couldn't find that person. All the adults in my life were what were models of what I didn't want to be. And that, and, that inclu- and that included coming from the church as well. Yes, it included <laughs> my yeah, it included my parents, my teachers, uh, the leaders of the church, uh, one set of grandparents, all my aunts and uncles and cousins. Uh, my mother comes from a very large family; she's one of eleven, and my father was an only child, and I didn't have any grandparents on that side. I had one step grandmother who did embody this model I was looking for but she didn't live close and we didn't spend much time together so I I didn't consider her a model because I didn't have enough awareness of her but in this encounter with Jesus the first thing I recognized was that oh here's my model this is the kind of person I want to be and then Jesus began to show me these amazing <laughs> You know, for an 11-year-old, these amazing images of, first of all, how my physical body came to be. So he showed me the entire process of evolution and backwards. In other words, I, I saw that everything in my physical body was inherited through my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, all the way down the line, all the way through the entire evolutionary period of human beings, uh, then uh, primates, then mammals, then reptiles, then, you know, all the way back to the Big Bang. I mean, it was an amazing experience. And scientists now say every atom in our body came from bursting stars. And basically, that was the experience I had. Oh, whoa. But again, I'm 11. I don't really know what to do with this information. And yet I'm totally present with this experience I'm having with Jesus then the next so, so before you go on I just want so the ancestral lineage then continued back beyond being human and, and back yes. to the big bang yes. so so within that there's a thread then that connects you and your kin your family yes. all the way back and all the kin all, all all life in the universe that's that's what's so astonishing so then the next portion of this event Uh, I was shown how I had been conditioned and how I had accumulated all the information about myself through lessons I learned at home, in school, and church, and media, magazines, movies, television shows, uh, songs, poems, all of that, books. Uh, and And within that lesson, I realized that the confusion that I experienced that drove me to search for this model was located in all this information, that this information, some of it was not healthy and, and was actually wrong 
And I wanted to stop Jesus and say, hey, wait a minute, this is where I want to go. And he was very adamant, no, we're moving on. And so the third portion of this experience, he showed me this enormous, infinite, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, just a field, an infinite field of, of potential. And it was like a, the image was kind of like a fog. And I was led to believe that this potential could be shaped into anything. And I suddenly realized, oh, you mean I have the power to become anything I want to be, a gymnast, a trumpet player, you know, an astronaut, a physicist. I'm, it's limitless. And Jesus said, yes, this is, that's exactly true. And then he moves on to this other place, and I realize, oh, wait a minute. All of a sudden, I'm realizing that everything I had seen in this experience came from him, that he was really the originator of it. I was merely the recipient. And I, I thought, but, but I want to be like him. I want to have what he has so that I can have this kind of power to know these things. And so basically I said, um, you know, teach me to see the way you see. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, if I can see like that, then I can actually access all this potential and use it in my own life. And so he said, sure. And that was the end. That was the end of that experience. And I'm standing on the sidewalk, and I'm 11 years old, and I feel this enormous surge of energy, like lightning has just gone through my body. Um, But, of course, I don't have any idea what to do with it. Luckily, I didn't tell anyone. So then in my... Uh, so before you move on, so how long did that experience last in, in our time frame? Do you have any sense of that? You know, I have no idea. I, I think it was probably anywhere from five minutes to 15 minutes. Okay. And you were, just, stand, and you were just standing on the sidewalk while yeah, this was happening? Yeah, I was yeah. standing on the... I, I can, <laughs> as, I, as I talk about this now, I'm picturing that sidewalk. I know exactly where it was. It was in the little town 20 miles west of me where I grew up. And uh, I can picture the rose bushes. It was spring. I can picture the house with the, um, it was a rugged fence. Anyway, um, I, I was just walking home from church, having decided at the church service that I would never go back. I, I had realized that the model I was looking for, I would never find in that church and that I was never going to go back to church. And I, I have no idea if that decision instigated this event or not but uh that that was simply the series of events how they took place so then how did you lead your life then having had that experience after that (laughs) that's the other thing you'd think that having these experiences might have um, helped me in some way but i went through my adolescence the way everybody does Uh, it was just horrible it was the worst experience of my life First of all, I moved from a very snug, little, tiny agricultural village to a huge urban center down in the Bay Area. My parents decided to move, and my dad decided to go to Stanford, and it was really shocking to me to leave this uh, very safe, comfortable environment that I'd grown up in and be forced into this loud, urban uh, atmosphere that I had absolutely no idea how to navigate. And so I spent my entire adolescence not only in normal adolescence agony, 
but in terror, actually. And in fact, I can remember one day when I was in the eighth grade walking home from school and I knew that I was losing whatever sense of light that I had because I, I thought, you know what, if I'm blind, if I could blind myself, I might be able to regain this whatever I couldn't explain, whatever it is. And so I actually just laid down on the lawn of whoever's house I was in front of and tried looking at the sun. Oh, and, wow. You know, I couldn't. There's to, no way you can do that. <laughs> no, to turn yourself blind. But that was the, the feeling you had. Wow. That was the feeling I had, that, that I knew I was losing this pure intention. Uh, and I had forgotten my experience with Jesus, the whole incidents of moving to Palo Alto and this urban atmosphere and all the tension that came into our house because my dad was going to school full time and had a very um, strenuous part-time job. Uh, our, our, our living situation just became extremely stressful. And under that barrage of stress, I lost any awareness that I had before. And it wasn't... So, so how did all this lead you then through to the Genesis Code? Well, um, after leaving my home and going to college for the first year, I dropped out of college and got married to a Vietnam vet and moved to Utah. And my life then got really scary and I, I left him numerous times. Our marriage was very rocky and unstable. And finally, when I left for the final time, I uh, hooked up with the mother of my best friend in high school who had drowned the year after he graduated. And there, uh, there were many... Um, experiences around his death that many people had. One woman heard his voice on the radio. The experience I had was as we were driving from Utah back to the memorial service, I heard him say in my mind very clearly, Glenda Lee, do not worry anymore. I'm fine. And with that voice, this feeling of peace flooded me. And uh, so we went to the memorial service and I... Um, I reestablished a relationship with his mother, and then after my divorce, I again sought her counsel, and she then was living with a group of people calling themselves the Christ Circle. And within very short time, I joined them, and then we all moved to a, um, a, a contemplative community that had already been built, this is all these synchronistic events, it had been built by a man who wanted to have it as a conference center, and that didn't work out, but we we moved in as a collective. So, Glenda, I'm going to hold you there, because we're coming up to our first break, which we'll take now. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. 
Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Being Outside the Box is your thrival guide to living outside this reality. Are you always waiting for your ship to come in? Do problems happen to you? What if you created your life rather than sitting by waiting? Do you live in the fantasies of this reality? Winning the lottery, waiting for your prince, princess to come, even being healthy? Do you always do what is expected of you rather than choosing for you? What if the rules didn't apply? And what if you could thrive from a different space? Join host Lynn Waldrop for tools to being outside the box. Listen Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. Just a reminder to go to my website, www.petertung.com where all of the information of what we are doing is, uh, is there, including all the radio shows. And if you wish to join our live meditations on a Thursday morning at 11.30 Pacific, then please go to the website, www.petertongue.com, and then click on the events page where you can join us for our Thursday morning meditations. I have with me today Glinda Lee Hoffman, and before the break, Glinda was talking about her experiences in early childhood and then moving through to adulthood and what was leading her ultimately to this research that she's done with the Genesis Code. So, Glinda, pick up the story where you left off. So, at the Christ Circle, um, another member gave me a book called The Cipher of Genesis, the key, the Kabbalic Keep to the Scriptures, something like that. I can't remember exactly the subtitle by Carlos Suarez, and uh, he said, here, you might like this, and so I started reading this book, and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I mean, it was just Greek to me, but I also could, bu- couldn't put it down, so that was very confusing. It was like I wanted to burn that thing. It was so difficult to understand, and yet I, something drove me to stay at it. And I liken the experience to Helen, Helen Keller and Annie Sullivan. You know, Helen Keller did not, in the beginning, she thought Annie was just an annoyance because she had no idea what, what, that Annie's uh, palm manipulations were anything but annoying nothings. But what happens is that the human brain responds to input. It responds to signals. And that's what happened to Helen's brain. So after Annie had done these letters in her palm, they became patterns, and the brain 
responded to the signals and the, the brain actually figured out the pattern before Helen did. And then there was that emotional experience that those of us who have watched the movie, The Miracle Worker, we remember the splashing of the water on her hand and Annie spelling in her other hand water. And suddenly Helen gets it. Her brain realizes, oh, this isn't just random annoyance. This, this has meaning. The, this is a word. This is a name. And then suddenly she realizes everything has a name and her whole world changes. Not only does she gain the ability to learn and gain knowledge, but she gains the ability to communicate. So Helen, Helen is transformed instantly, and what happens in her brain is just as magical because her brain had created all these new neural networks, but they hadn't hooked up to conscious awareness, and it was that instant that it happened. And a very similar thing happened to me with the cipher of Genesis. It introduced the code of the Kabbalah hidden in the text of Genesis, and it's hidden in a very simple way. What we think of as the words of text are actually Kabbalic acronyms. And the acronyms are formed the same way that modern acronyms are formed. They're formed from the first letter of a series of words. Like, you know, Mothers Against Drunk Driving is MAD. And uh, University of California, Los Angeles is UCLA. So what we think of as words in the text of Genesis are these acronyms based on the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, not as elements of a language or having any kind of linguistic association, but what these uh, symbols actually represent are patterns of energy. Now, when I say that, I realize people have a difficult time understanding any of what that might mean, but and so did I. For nine months as I was studying this, I just couldn't get it, just didn't do anything for me. But then after I had had that enough input, just like with Helen Keller, my brain actually figured it out. And it showed me what all this information was saying. And what it showed me was so mind-blowing. And I, I was only studying the first six letters at that point. You know, five months into my study, I realized, boy, I, I, I have to reduce this down to something manageable. So I just started with the first six letters. So before you go, in, before you go into it in detail, so why, why was it encoded in this way? And what, how long ago are we talking about when this was first done uh, as a code? Well, it's attributed to Abraham. So it's at least 2,500 years ago. And... From what I have been able to piece together, because all of this history is lost, um, from what I've been able to piece together, Abraham, and he was called Abram first, and the reason that we know he knew this information is because he added that H to his name, and the H comes from these letters. It's the fifth letter, and it has a meaning. The meaning is universal life, and he, he recognized in, within himself that this pattern existed, and so he claimed that letter and changed his name to Abraham. And um, Jesus did the same thing. He used this system, and he claimed one of these letters and put it in his name. And that's how these people would reveal themselves to other students of the knowledge. Uh, but from 
from everything that I've researched, Abraham brought this information from an earlier civilization that had been somehow destroyed. And I don't, I don't have any idea what the details of that are. Perhaps it had something to do with the flood. Perhaps it had something to do with the volcanic explosion, you know, that people think created Atlantis. I don't know. The, what I've been able to piece together is that Abraham had this knowledge and he brought it from an earlier civilization and he taught it to his family and to his descendants. And it, it had two pieces. It, there was a chart with the letters that uh, lining them, them up in a specific way. In other words, um, the chart arranges the letters uh, nine across and three rows down. So you have the first nine letters across and then the next nine letters and then the third nine letters and they go in these rows on this chart and that is um, basically the information of the patterns of energy are located on this chart and they could have been any letters really because it's the position on the chart that gives the letter its significance but um, after I had studied this information I found out that the pattern was even inherent in the shape of the letters themselves and the pattern is a pattern of wholeness and the, what the Kabbalah uses as its basic symbol of wholeness is a seed and the reason it uses a seed is because wholeness is always created through an integration of opposites and in the seed those two opposites are a germ and a husk and the, the first six letters that I studied described and uh, presented and actually activated the image of the first seed of life in the universe. It did it in my mind so that as I'm driving down the road one day, nine months after I began this study, the first glimpse I have that this actually is a code and that I'm not crazy for studying it is I have this explosion of revelation in my mind and I suddenly see exactly what these first six letters have been trying to tell me all this time. And what I see is how life in the universe began in this cosmic seed that had all the properties and elements of a regular seed like uh, it had all the properties and elements of all the hidden potential that's in a seed in the germ, and then it has all the properties and elements of a, the protective husk. And it's very, you know, this kind of experience can't be described in words. I mean, it's just impossible. But that's what I saw, and that's what made me realize that the Genesis Code was real, that it was going to teach me how to perceive at the level of Jesus and that I was going to learn what I had started out to learn as a child but had forgotten and lost my way. And here it was again. And so that was when I dedicated my life to it. And how, how long did it take you to go from that situation, that awareness, to actually produce the book? Oh, <laughs> 
40 years. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's important for the listeners to understand because it's a very, very profound book uh, that this this is your, as I said to you when we had a previous chat, your magnus opus in terms of putting this together as your life's work. And obviously there's lots more to come, but in terms of the initial uh, package of, or your seed as it were, of, of information is held within this book. Yes, it is. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's a it's a packet of information very difficult to make available to others because it's so complex. And I've, my whole mission has been to try to make it as uncomplex as possible so that other people can access it. Because what's so exciting to me is that it taught me that the story of the Garden of Eden is, does not occur in the past it is a story that takes place inside the human mind because just as the seed is the, is the model of wholeness, so the two stories in Genesis, the six days of creation and the Garden of Eden, are all, they are also a seed. And they, that seed has an outer element, which in this case is, is cosmology, and that can, that's contained in Genesis 1. And if you read that as cosmology, you see that it, it reveals the same pattern of evolution that scientists uh, state. In other words, first there was the Big Bang, let there be light. Then there was the Earth, because this is our evolution. And the Earth was without form and void. And then it, you know, it had a firmament and uh, an atmosphere. And then it was covered with water. And then it was. Then the land appeared. Then the land was covered with plants. Then animals. Then human beings. And so that is the story of our physical evolution. And and that is the outer. That's our outer story. Then the Garden of Eden moves to the inner story, the germ element. So, Glenda, let's just hold there, and we'll come back after the break, and we'll talk about that inner element. The Garden of Eden story, very, very important to profound information. So stay with us, listeners, and we'll take a break now. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Be the change. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. 
You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tan. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. Just like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors for this series of shows. Sherry Chase of Chase International Real Estate Company in beautiful Lake Tahoe and uh, Reno, Nevada. Uh, and also Brandy Jackson, my producer for the show, and Matt, our regular engineer, who do a great job in assisting me in bringing such great guests for you to listen to and for you to absorb and get a sense of the information so you can take from it whatever you will and help you on your awakening journey. And one of those great experts we have with us today is Glinda Lee Hoffman, who has written a wonderful book called The Genesis Code. And just before the break, Glinda, you were going to start talking about the Garden of Eden inner story. So continue with that. Yes, yeah, so the Kabbalah taught me that the Garden of Eden is a story about our inner awareness. It didn't happen in the past, and everything in the story is actually true neurologically. That was mind-blowing to me. And it was only after I learned how to perceive this story in this new light that I began to study neuroscience and I realized that the Garden of Eden story actually had information that neuroscience still doesn't grasp about the brain. And of course, I was, um, I, once I learned that the Garden of Eden, in fact, l- let me give you just this little bit of metaphor. Neuroscientists often refer to the brain as a neural jungle. And it, the reason they say that is because neurons resemble trees. They have an axon that resembles a trunk, and then from the axon sprout neural branches, uh, and from the bottom of the axon sprout neural uh, roots. So, it, so a neuron resembles the structure of a tree, like, say, in winter. Picture an oak tree in winter with no leaves. All you see are the branches, and the branches start out thick and then they get thinner and thinner and they finger out to these little tips and in a neuron the little tips are called dendrites. Well, the word dendrite comes from a Greek word that means tree. So in Genesis you have these trees of knowledge. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, But the only place you're ever going to find a tree of knowledge is the neural trees inside our own brain. So once you realize that this is a story about the brain and how the brain becomes an instrument of awareness, then you can put all these uh, otherwise strange mythological images into a neurological context. And that was what was so exciting to me. So, so do that for us. Help us to understand how this works. So a garden and a jungle are similar metaphors in that they are images of trees and, and uh, the um, quality of seeds because a seed grows a tree or a plant 
and then that plant produces more seeds, and then each of those seeds produces and more plants and more seeds, and this whole idea of, um, it's called indeterminate potential, uh, which I'm going to try to explain here, um, is the is the uh, golden information of the Kabbalah that that what the universe the, the purpose of the universe now we've heard scientists say that the purpose of the universe is um, is activated through evolution and we've heard religious people say that the purpose of the universe is uh, because God created it. But what the Kabbalah says is that the purpose of the universe is to create an infinite, an endlessly infinite series of life forms. Uh, because the, the letter seven in this alphabet refers to the achievement of all possible possibilities. And what this refers to is um, the level of fertility of life in the universe. And what the Kabbalah explains through this very complicated uh, set code is that life in the universe has a purpose, and that purpose is to create more of itself, so much more of itself that it can never be... Uh, counted or explained it's just it's so fertile it's endlessly fertile and we can see this fertility in nature anywhere there's a possibility for a life form to grow in nature it'll grow because that is the nature of life well this, this same capacity in is also uh is established inside the human brain and in fact the human brain is the only brain on the planet that has this capacity uh, porpoises and whales and even the highest evolved creatures on the planet do not have the same capacity for producing infinite possibility and opportunity that the human brain has and it's and what neuroscientists call this today is neuroplasticity but I was learning about this quality before the word neuroplasticity had been invented. I just called it all possible possibilities because that's what Carlos Suarez called it. But it, it's that vision of understanding that this is what life does that gave me back my reassurance that I could live the kind of life I wanted and become the kind of person I wanted to be regardless of what what other people were doing and what what else was happening on the planet. So as far as the brain is concerned, then what role are Adam and Eve playing? Uh, Adam and Eve represents the two opposites of intelligence. And uh, the two types of intelligence we all have are intellect and intuition. And what science has told us is that intellect is the most important kind of intelligence, but what Genesis taught me is that intuition is even more important because intuition has the ability to move into the unknown and extract information back for the intellect to examine. But the intellect has no ability to go into the unknown. The intellect 
can only study information that's already known. And uh, so Adam represents the intellect and Eve represents intuition, which physically in the brain is represented Adam as the neocortex and Eve as the frontal lobe. And the frontal lobe sits right behind the forehead and is the latest part of the brain to evolve. And it is the only physical tissue on the human body that distinguishes us uniquely as human beings as different than the species of hominid that came before us is this little piece of tissue that bulges our forehead out so we have this high domed skull instead of that bony ridge over our eyebrows with a slanting forehead that the preceding hominids had before us so in this in this story in this revelation this realization what role do the apple and the serpent play well, the apple represents, uh, it's, it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that is an erroneous title. And that the reason that that title is given in the story is because people then, as well as people now, have mistakenly interpreted life through the lens of duality, good and evil. And what happens is that Eve... Um, Eve is created from one of Adam's ribs because the frontal lobe emerged from the same tissue as the neocortex, but uh, the neocortex is the portion of the brain that looks outward. It's connected to the optic nerve, and it looks outward to the outer world, whereas the frontal lobe only looks inward, and that gives it an advantage because um, the, the neocortex can't look into the frontal lobe because it can only look outward, but the frontal lobe can look inward to not only the neocortex but the mammalian limbic system and the reptilian cortex. So the, the, the frontal lobe is the only portion of the brain that can look inward to see how the rest of the brain is processing all the information and input that's coming into the brain from the senses and from all the media and from the personal relationships that we have um, the frontal lobe is the only portion of the brain that can put all of this together in a meaningful way that helps us grow. So, this so, is so in, terms of, in terms of where we are in the world now and, and some of the really sad aspects of, of human life and where we want to go, in, and obviously my show is called Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation, how can this information uh, help our listeners um, on their awakening journey and, and, and humanity in general? So basically we have to realize that the frontal lobe is what contains all of our human potential. And when, when we study this and begin to become aware of what this human potential contains, it turns out that the potential that we're, we want to become is angelic in nature. Uh, to be truly human means to be generous, to be kind, to be whole, of course, uh, to be healthy, to be happy, to be creative, to be productive, um, and to be confident. So we, uh, you know, science has kind of given us this information that it's kind of a dog-eat-dog -dog world and survival of the fittest and all that, and um, traditional religion has given us the idea that we're all born sinners and we can only be saved through Christ. 
But what this story tells us and what the brain tells us and what the Kabbalah tells us is that we haven't even begun to truly embody our authentic human nature. And when we do, we will not only heal ourselves of all, all of our shadow uh, consciousness and our um, self-defeatism and our, um, uh, what's the other word I'm looking for, self-destructive tendencies, that we will learn to be kind and loving to ourselves, but we will learn to solve our own personal problems and we'll learn to, to solve all of our global problems, our, our, our you know, just tendency to destroy the environment and our, um, our unconscious desire for more money than we know what to do with, those kinds of things, our unconscious desires for power. All the, um, the images that the media gives us for, for what identifies us as humans, in other words, as humans we think we're supposed to gain power, fame, money, uh, status, all that, all that really is reptilian, mammalian, and hominid. It's really not human. To be authentically human means to, first of all, be loving. Love ourselves, uh, and by loving ourselves, we learn to love others. And then second of all, it's learning to be, to, to process information clearly so that we can clearly see what are the real problems are and how to solve them the real problems in our own life, and then the real problems in our social and global life. So, Glinda, we're coming up to our final break, which we'll take now. When we come back, we'll talk perhaps about a few techniques that people can use to help them start unraveling this awareness within themselves. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Much can be learned from the new children who embody a higher vibration and consciousness. However, the world we live in has not always been understanding of the gifts, differences and awarenesses that they contribute. Listen for Journey with the New Children, Teens, and Adults, presented by Saturn Three Light Flyers. Each week, hosts Michael and Janice Bordway, along with their son and frequent guest host Tristan Bordway, share the discoveries of parenting and being one of the new children. It's an amazing journey. Join us Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're 
listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tan. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. I have with me today Glinda Lee Hoffman, who's written a great book called The Genesis Code, which gives a really neat insight into uh, Genesis in the Bible and a totally different interpretation than we would have been led to believe is true, a coded message which helps us uh, unravel how we should be living our lives today. So, Glinda, just let our listeners know how they can make contact with you and, and get the book and anything else that you need to pass on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Peter. My website is www.thegenesiscode.com. And on my website, um, right on the homepage, there's a little uh, window that you can put your email in, and I will send you my free ebook, Seven Techniques to Cultivate Your Genius. And it's it's just seven simple techniques that I learned along the way that help us harness the potential of the frontal lobe um, to empower the frontal lobe because the frontal lobe is really the only part of the brain that can reorganize and change the older evolutionary parts of the brain so that they come under the agenda of the frontal lobe instead of what, what they do now in our lives and why most of us suffer and are miserable in our lives is because these older agendas, the reptilian, mammalian, and hominid, um, their neurochemistry is much more powerful than the frontal lobe. I call the, in this context, the frontal lobe is like a baby. It's like the baby in the brain. These other older cortexes have much stronger neurochemistry. They have much stronger neural connections because, I mean, the... The reptilian cortex has been around for 120 million years, the mammalian for 60 million years. So the frontal lobe is only 200,000 years old. It hasn't had much time to establish its agenda, and that's our job. Our job is to identify with the frontal lobe, to activate it, and as we activate it, the frontal lobe will then learn how to uh, observe the activities of the other cortexes to diminish their negative impact and to increase their positive impacts. So, so, so just give us uh, an insight into just one of those techniques. Uh, one of the techniques use. is to um, use a meditation that I call the I am pure meditation. And this just occurred to me one day. I'm sitting in meditation and these words happened to me. Um, you simply sit in uh, quietly with your eyes closed and repeat in your mind s- several terms that begin with, I am pure, followed by any word that cannot be defined in physical terms. So, in other words, I am pure love, I am pure joy, I am pure energy, I am pure vibration, uh, I am pure possibility. So you can make up your own terms in this sense, but they cannot be terms that can be defined physically. That's very important because we've been taught that we're just this physical form. But the truth is, much more of our being is energy. And we have to tell the brain that. Because the brain only knows how to process information it's given. 
And it's up to us to give the brain that information. So by identifying with it, it's like a shortcut to empowering the frontal lobe to deliver that kind of information to the brain. And then the brain learns to open up this field of energy and potential within itself and start utilizing hidden potential that we don't even know exists to help us transform our lives from uh, the inability to solve problems to the ability to solve problems. You know, for instance, when I met my first husband and got married at 19, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, and our, our marriage was just miserable, and I finally left him, and I went through my training uh, with the Kabbalah at the Christ Circle, and when I finally got married the second time at 30, I picked a much different man, and I had a much better marriage, and we still had, you know, some things to work out, but we went through a major re-education process, and now our marriage is so wonderful that I tell people... I live in heaven because that's what it feels like. Our relationship is so solid and so authentic that um, I wouldn't trade it for for anything. I, I wouldn't trade it for a billion dollars. So the sense that I'm getting from, from, from what you've said today then is this neocortex aspect of our brain has basically got us locked up in the masculine energy belief system of competition, the strongest survive and all that stuff. And that's what's running what's happening on the planet from humanity. And what we're looking to do is actually soften that by moving into the frontal lobe and give it its full opportunity to intuitively guide us into this balanced approach. I mean, both are necessary, but but to return to balance. Would that be correct? Boy, you said that so clearly. Um, And I just want to add a little bit to that. See, the neocortex has been educated by our education system. It... um, you know, we, we know more about what's outside of ourselves than we know about what's inside of ourselves. And that's because our entire education system is geared toward how the neocortex processes. It's, it's only this, what people call spiritual information, that addresses the frontal lobe. But what I want people to understand is that being spiritual is actually being authentically human. When we're coming from the neocortex, that's the hominid. Um, that, that part of the brain evolved during hominid evolution and bipedalism. And the part of the brain that evolved during the human part of our evolution is the frontal lobe. So by identifying with the frontal lobe and activating the potentials of the frontal lobe, we actually learn how to become more human. And Carlos Suarez's definition of being human is that we enter a path where we simply become more and we keep becoming over and over and over. In other words, the path never ends because we can expand our awareness forever. So, Glenda, we've only got two minutes left, and I do want to give you the chance just to mention, uh, because part of the application of this understanding is uh, work that you've done with uh, on behalf of your mother as well through the Hoffman integration processing program which is brain-based learning and for students who really struggle in school so just give our listeners a very quick overview of what that what that's about yes so um my mother and i developed a brain-based learning program called the hoffman integration processing program hip h-i-p-p and um we presented under the auspices of uh our nonprofit agency which is the hoffman learning research institute 
And you can uh, go to our website. It's www.gohip, G-O-H-I-P-P.org or H-L-R-I.org. And you'll find the information about um, how we're working with students to help their brains learn how to process information more efficiently. This summer, we're having a special summer program, and you can read about that on the website and contact us through that. Peter, I just want to reiterate again to your readers that if they go to my uh, the Genesis Code website, they can uh, sign up their email to receive my free ebook, Seven Techniques to Cultivate Your Genius, and I want to encourage all of them to do that. Thank you. Thank you for today, Glenda. You've done a wonderful job in a very short time, giving us a taste, but obviously not all the details of this uh, revolutionary insight and concept. So thank you so very much. Thanks for having me, Peter. It's been wonderful. And again, the hour flew by. It did indeed. Thank you so much. And just very quickly for our listeners, if you have a, a child or a grandchild who is struggling in school and you know that they have intelligence, then the problem is almost certainly a visual, auditory, and motor processing issue. And this is the work that uh, Glinda and her mum have put together. And as a former school principal, I understand all about the frustrations that children have, parents have, teachers have, when a child doesn't seem to be able to learn in the traditional way when, when it's known that they're intelligent. So if you have a connection to a child, I'd like that, I, I certainly suggest that you follow up with Glinda and, ha- and have a look at that. So my guest next week is Peter Field, a well-known hypnotherapist in England, and he has brought forward some wonderful information uh, called the Chi of Change, creating the opportunity for us, as Glinda is, to enjoy a wonderful, happy, and successful life. So I hope you'll join me next week with Peter Field. Have a wonderful week. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. We hope that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tongue for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.